The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome back. It's Hour 2 of Fantasy Sports Today right here on Sports Grid. How are you guys watching this show, consuming the show? Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, at SportsGrid at Craig Mish, at Joe Pizapia. Head on over to any of our YouTube channels. Leave your comments there. Make sure you like and subscribe to our show. Set your notifications to on. Before we go any further on the show, just kind of recapping our top stories before we get into some of the futures bets potentially to be made in the NFL. Joe, the NBA, according to Shams Charnia yesterday, reported that there's a possibility of the season restarting again, but this time potentially in the Disney area of Orlando. How that would look, no one's sure. When that would look like, no one's really sure either. But in this day and age where we're just looking for any kind of flicker of a light for sports, that is the latest with the NBA. Yeah, well, look, I hope it happens. And as we spoke about on this show, I mean, this post the last dance documentary, I am kind of jonesing for basketball in a weird way. I'd like to watch it and playoff basketball is a one uh, thing that in terms of NBA, I would kind of flip on and kind of watch. And I did watch the finals a few years. I watched the uh, watched the finals where LeBron beat the uh, Golden State Warriors. I thought those were very exciting, fun games. So uh, I'm looking forward to them getting back if they can. And I'll tell you what, man, I think it's great for everybody. It's not just us as sports people, but also just I think collectively, I think the, the country is in kind of a basketball mood as it were. I think the numbers for that documentary were off the charts. I think the discussion about that documentary has been all over the place. And I think it would be really good right now for the NBA to have some basketball to play. And let's hope that they do. And playoff basketball is, of course, the best kind of basketball. So let's get at it, hopefully. Fingers yeah. crossed. Ho- hopefully so. Hopefully at least we get that. And then we'll wait to see with baseball. And, of course, with the NHL, we're also going to have a couple of uh, interesting charity golf uh, events coming up, especially one this weekend. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed uh, the uh, NASCAR race as well. A lot of fun NASCAR stuff going on, too. I like to check out. All right. Uh, down the road here. It's interesting that the FanDuel Sportsbook in New Jersey, which is essentially where we set up shop at SportsGrid when there's uh, no virus uh, killing people all over the world. Uh, that's where we go. And we have shows there. Uh, unfortunately, I'm here in South Florida, so I don't get a chance to go there. But I'm still waiting to be invited. But I'll invite you. Come, come over. Yeah, invited and Saying come or two different things, but a story for another. Do you want me to we'll send get, you like an We got to have the country open up first before I can even. Whenever that. it's ready, I'm inviting you to come out. You're Thank invited. You. Thanks. Thanks. Come on any of the shows that I host anytime. 
So maybe because it's there, I, I suppose that's why that that the online version of the FanDuel Sportsbook, which, by the way, you can access anytime, uh, decided to do some futures on first win of 2020. Now, I, I didn't do a deep enough dive, and I'll do that as we go, but the first two teams that popped up for me were the Giants and the Jets. So let me set the table here before we go through this, because I have never seen this before. And I have a heavy uh, wagering and information background as it pertains to this. I've never seen where you can go online and essentially bet on when a team is going to win their first game. This is a first for me. I've never seen that. So essentially what FanDuel did is, is they took the odds for the Giants and the Jets and they placed odds on the first, I think it's the first eight or nine games of the season. And the odds, you basically have to pick when you think that they'll win their first game. And it's 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 a guessing game, okay? It's the NFL. You're throwing a dart here. You're taking a guess. But the odds are pretty favorable for you if you get it right and you don't go chalk, which is essentially, you know, if you bet 100 to win $200, okay, great. But, I mean, you could bet 100 bucks and win $700 on one of these. So it's kind of like almost picking a Kentucky Derby winner out of a hat. But I wanted to dive into uh, what they have here for the Giants and Jets, Joe. So let's start off with the Giants. And here are the odds for the Giants' first win of 2020. And, and this fascinated me. Now, they went deeper than six games. We are not going to go deeper than six games. Now, I could be wrong. I think that these two teams will win a game before it gets to Week 7. But if they don't, I'm sorry I didn't give you the proper— I didn't prepare you properly enough for making this bet. Week 1, Steelers— you can get plus 150 if you think the Giants are going to beat the Steelers in week one. So you bet 100 to win $150. Now things get a little dicey from there. Because if they don't beat the Steelers week one, they go to Chicago and you bet 100 to win 280. Now remember, once the season starts, these odds are going to change. You will not be able to get these odds after the season begins because clearly it's a 50-50 proposition at that point. Week three, they play the 49ers. If, they go, if the Giants go 0-2, and they beat the 49ers, you get 7-1 to one on your money. Then they go on a three-game road trip at the Chargers. You get 8-1, to one if that's their first win. At the Cowboys, 14-1, to one if that's their first win. And then at the Redskins, plus 7.5-1. to one. Now, if this is the USA Today prediction, Joe, then you probably go with Week 6, because they only have them winning three games in yeah. 2020. But I got to say, it's intriguing because I honestly have no idea. It is a guess, but it's a fun thing to just uh, take a stab at and just. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a, I think you could bet more than one of these and be in a really good. I would hedge on this one and bet two of them if you want, because you have enough money that if you hit one of them right, you're going to make up the 100 you lost. So well, why you lose not? Both, you lose both. Though. Well, if you lose both, but I'm just saying, you also. Look, I'm telling you right now, the Giants are a better football team than a lot of people are saying. I'm not saying they're a great football team. But when you have Saquon Barkley, that's a guy that can take over a game. And I think a lot of people are forgetting how good Saquon Barkley is. I think he's going to remind a lot of people. He certainly looked pretty darn good towards the end of last season. Daniel Jones is far from perfect, but Daniel Jones can make some plays. They address the offensive line. I think they had a really good draft. To me, the Giants had a top five of the best drafts this year. I, I'm... Stick to that. I really like the players they brought in, and specifically, they filled a lot of the gaps and the things that really took its toll on this team last year. So I think beating Pittsburgh opening week with with Roethlisberger back in Pittsburgh. Oh, no, actually, no, I'm sorry, it's in New York. 
Yes. Uh, that that's not an impossibility. It's just not. I don't, I don't think even this first one is impossible, but it's in New York, so it's not the best bet, right? So you're going to move away from that one. The Steelers Ed, will be uh, – you know, the, the lines are already out, so I probably should have checked that before we started. But well, the Steelers will be favored, but it will not be by a lot. Probably two and a half. Three. I was going to say it might be three. Like you know, I don't even know if it will be that high. All right. So they got a puncher's chance in this one because it's at home. But I think first game back, Roethlisberger, I think Pittsburgh is going to be really, you know, kind of ready to rock here. Uh, the Bears is a very winnable game for them. So I think a really easy, safe bet is to just put the money on the Bears. But if for some reason they lose that too, I don't think they're going to beat the 49ers. But I think the Chargers is absolutely a team they can beat. The Chargers are soft. They've been soft. I mean, they don't finish well. And that's exactly the kind of defense I think that would actually struggle with a guy like Saquon Barkley because they do like to be very aggressive after the quarterback. And sometimes too much aggressiveness after the quarterback means you're not paying enough attention to the running back. And if he gets that hole in the right spot, you're in a good position there to run amok. And I think that the Chargers one is the one that I have my eye on. So Bears or Chargers, you put 200 bucks on that. If you hit on one of them, hey, you know, you're at least 180 bucks if it's the if it ends up being the Bear game. Right. Am I math correct there? Uh, if uh, it's it's 200 to win, uh, so it's 100 to win 150. It would be 200 to win. Um, so it's 100 two, to win two, 280 against the Bears is what you said, right? Right. I think. You'd bet 100 to win 280 mm-hmm. with the Bears. So I'm just saying, like I think uh, I think Bears and Chargers is where I go. The Chargers eight to one. That's a hell of a payday, I think, right there. If it goes that far. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, I don't think it's going to be the 49ers. I don't think it's going to be the Steelers. If you had to pick just one, where would you go? I think that if they if they don't win one of the first two games, this could really go <laughs> could really go for a while. Uh, uh, I, I would probably go Bears. I would probably go Bears the second game and stop there. Because I, I think that you're running, I, even though it's the 49ers, you're running into a hole there, like just praying that for some miracle. That I mean, Giants could beat San Francisco at home. It's not impossible. I, I would take I would take the Bears and I would stop at that one. That would be see. It. I would I would take the Bears and then I would strongly consider the Chargers as the second choice because an zero and three start. You know, only because it is a road game, first road game of the year. The Bears are not a good football team, but at the same time, it's, I don't even know if that's the first home game for the Bears. Sometimes first home game crowds very yeah, hyped up. Be, that could be. The you case. know, I, I think that the Chargers one. That's the one I would circle on my calendar for them. Okay. All right, so we go from the Giants. Now let's move over to the Jets here at the FanDuel Sportsbook. This is the Jets' first win of 2020. They're at Buffalo week one. You bet 100, you win 220. The 49ers, if you think the Jets lose to Buffalo and then beat San Francisco, my gosh, you bet 100, you win 290 on that bet. That's a really good bet. Uh, week three at the Colts, a little bit of a tougher assignment, I would assume. That's plus 550, 100 to win 550. Uh, week four against Denver, this is clearly the one that FanDuel is yelling at you to tell you that if they go 0-3, they ain't going 0-4, so simple that <laughs> That's plus 390. And then there's not a lot of confidence, and they're, they're asking you to just throw some dead money at the Cardinals uh, by week five and then the Chargers by week six. And I personally don't anticipate the Jets starting 0-6. So for me, I would do Denver. That would be the one. It's a home game. Uh, I I don't think the Jets are losing uh, 14 games, but I don't think they're winning 10 either. So they seem to me like a 7 or 8 win team. Their line says 7 or 8. I know that you're not in on them at all, but it wouldn't 
really disappoint me at all to see the Jets start off 0-3, win their fourth game, maybe win one of the next three, end up winning five, six games, maybe seven on the high end, maybe eight if, if things break right for them. So I would take Denver, and I like this one more than I do even any of the other Giants bets. Plus 390 is the one that I would go with. Yeah, it's difficult when we agree it doesn't really make good television, but I, I think I think Denver is their best bet. Uh, because it is the home game there. I don't think they can keep pace with the Cardinals. I don't think at the Colts is favorable. Forget the Bills and 49ers. Those defenses are going to crush. I don't think they're going to win the first Jets. two games. No, I'll tell you no. what, man. If they don't beat the Broncos, they're not beating the Cardinals, and I don't think they're winning in L.A. Well, maybe either. Maybe they beat Arizona. You know, and again, injuries can happen, Joe. One guy of gets course. changes everything. Of course. So. Of course. But it's not I, impossible. My goodness. I think it's. I think an 0-6 start is possible for the Jets. <laughs> looking at these teams, I think it's very possible. If this was Chargers in New York, I'd say less possible. Okay. Uh, but it's, I mean, I think 0-2, definitely, don't you think? I don't think they're winning those first two games. Yeah, I don't see them beating. That. That's a tough spot to go to Buffalo for game one, and I, and I would almost guarantee the game will be close, because they always play close. But I don't think that they'll win. And uh, if the Jets are similar to the way we've seen the Jets, the 49ers just happens to not really be a good matchup for them. Um, I, I could, I, I'm not in love with the Colts, but I'm also not stupid, and it's a road game, and if they've already started 0-2, the odds of them on week three rallying to go win a road game just now, doesn't sound right. Like, that doesn't yeah. feel and, like And I like the Colts, so I definitely don't think that. So the fact that you don't even think that says a lot about yeah, that you have to look like at that Broncos that. game as the one you circle. But circled. then Denver back at home, they're already 0-3. They avoid the snowball, and, and that's Is the there an inverse of this, too? Like, teams for their first loss on FanDuel? Because this is I'll kind of interesting. Go, I'll, have to go, I'll have to go and look, but I think that they just did the Jets and Giants. I think that's the only two teams that they did. Because they're local teams for the sports bookies. So. Maybe that, that makes I a lot of sense. So. All right, we'll take a brief time out on Fantasy Sports today. Coming up next, some of the past events that I've been to in our review of my credentials. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down. And too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life, so I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is gonna be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
And welcome back. We've been going back in time and looking at some sporting events that I wish I had the opportunity to be at and cover today. I think that I've illustrated that it has been a lot of fun being in the media for the past 20 years, and I never have taken it for granted. Like, Come on. It, media life is a is a charmed life. You're hitting up craft services for uh, seconds. Here, here's one question I have, and I've heard a lot of people in the media say this over the years. I'm curious if it's true for you. Has covering sports killed your individual personal fandom of teams that yes. you grew up loving? It does yeah. kill it, right? Yeah. I, I oh. found... I have it killed it for me very much so, except for the Patriots. But that's because the Patriots give me joy in life, and God knows I need some as a Mets fan. So I think that's that's yeah, the well, only value. Fantasy came first. Fantasy mm-hmm. came first for me in the eighties. See, that didn't and kill my joy of my fandom. It's, it started it started it because I was rooting for players against teams mm-hmm. that I liked. So it's it kind of started it going. But from a media perspective, yeah, I mean, being this killed it more for me when you're covering a team. (laughs) Look, uh, uh, so let's use the Marlins as an example. Uh So I'll cover the Marlins probably more than any other team over the last few years. I've covered them exclusively stopped with the heat, stopped with the Dolphins. I don't go nearly as much to those games as I used to. And I was never a Dolphins fan. I had the heat season tickets, but it didn't really bother me one way or the other if the heat the Marlins or the Dolphins lost at all. Like, it just happened. Um, now, now again, the one caveat to this is I went to the University of Florida. I am a Gator. I'm an alumni. That has a different feeling for me. Sure. So, so like, I purposely would never bet against the Gators, even though I would think the Gators maybe would lose to a team or I didn't like the spread. I probably still wouldn't do it just because... You're still loyal. I'm right. a fan. That's the only thing that I still really am, am sort of a fan of. But... I would say that from the Marlins' perspective, we are impartial as reporters and as people in the media, for sure, especially those people who cover the teams and the games. But you are not human if you are at a game and you're rooting for the team that you're covering to lose, because it does not make your life or your job easier when the team that you're covering loses. I assure you of sure. that. Uh, I, I might be more be, fun to write, but not more fun to cover. Certainly not from the interviews. Well, well if I'm sitting here, <laughs> if I'm sitting here, it's more fun for my team to lose because right. it gives us a lot of a drama and there's a lot to talk about. People are calling in; they want to bitch Ball and out, about right, their teams. Yeah. That's what talk radio was meant for. That's that, and you know, and losing your bets. That's what Sports Grid is made for to try and help you win, but also when you lose, where you're able to vent. But from a media perspective, it is as night and day as covering a sport when a team wins or loses. That's not to say that, and I I can use any team as an example because I've covered them all, but just sticking with the Marlins because it's recent. That's not to say that when you go in the Marlins clubhouse and they lose, and they've lost a lot over the last few years, clearly, and they lose, uh, that the guys are not going to talk to you because they do, but there's no music playing when they lose. There's no high-fiving when they lose. They're just sitting there like sad, but they'll talk. You'll still get your job done. Right. And every once in a while, there's an exciting finish. A closer blows a save and you go, oh my gosh, there's going to be some story after a game. I get all that. But in general, when you're covering a team, any team, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, over a 10-game period, and, the, and, and even in the NFL, if your team loses seven out of those 10 games, it is not going to be a pleasant experience for you. So secretly... Mm-hmm. Trust me when I tell you, you are sort of rooting for your team to win. <laughs> covering you, you, well, it, you want 
you want to be able to oh, be sure. part of a positive environment. At least I do. I mean, I can't speak no, to I, anybody I, else. I think you're right. I think your perspective is spot on. As a kid, did you have a baseball team or did you have individual players you just loved? As a, as a young kid, the Yankees, but I don't okay. have a lot of strong memories from that. Now, that's an interesting one because usually young kids who grow up as Yankee fans somehow, I would think, kind of keep a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the Yankees are, you know, kind of gods of Florida in the spring. They, they were, but I, but I don't know. I never, uh, and and even my grandmother worked for the Yankees too. But oh, really? I, I, yeah, I, I was, I don't know. I just, was, I came uh, to Florida and I lost, I came to, what's that? Left-handed pitcher, your grandma? Yes, yes. She was <laughs> a side man? Left-handed specialist. But oh, yeah, so I, I, I lost some of that fan. I was still a huge baseball fan as a kid, but I was more of just a fan of the game and the stars mm -hmm. of the game at that time. I remember watching All-Star Games. I remember going to spring training and, and seeing George Brett and Greg Maddox and Dave Stewart with the Rangers. Like, I, I Eckersley, when he was young, like, I remember getting autographs, taking pictures, doing that sort of stuff, but not being a huge fan of one individual team. I kind of liked the Indians for a while, too when the Indians were starting to get good, but it wasn't like I was a huge uh, fan of, of one individual team. The Yankees well, were sort of my Florida team. Florida pride to being, you know, growing up in Florida, going to Florida, you know, I know people very, very tied into their colleges and the alumni and things like that. And so I, I can understand how that might be the one that sticks for you. And that makes a lot that's of sense. That's the only thing that I still will defend. Like that's the only thing that I still care about. Mm -hmm. But I also am, can be impartial with the Gators and can say this guy is not playing well. You know, that is the one thing is, too, is trying to be impartial. And a lot of it drives my podcast host crazy because neither of them like the Patriots and they, they get annoyed when I'm very practical about them. And I and they're like, you're the worst because we want to yell at you and we just can't because you're being very practical. And, you know, you don't see the world through, you know, red, white and blue Patriot colored glasses like a lot of people do when their teams are very good for a very long period of time. It's very easy as a Yankee fan to to see only winning when you grew up in the sure. 90s and through the 2000s and not understand how to properly gauge what success is. So um, it's it's a fascinating conversation. Most people I know that work in the media, especially like you who cover teams, they always say that their fandom kind of died, basically, which did. is kind of sad for me in one sense. But then on the other hand, you're around the game and you have access nobody else does. So I guess it's a it's an interesting trade off. But but I'll tell you, betting has changed that a lot too for me. Like I'm I'm definitely very possessed with the teams that I have in these betting contests and and yeah. everything else. Like that that to me, like I don't need to be a fan anymore. Like I am a fan of the team that wins. Like that's that's it. Uh, this is a good segue because I'll have a good story here. Um, okay, so these are the two back-to-back -back championship games that I covered in college football. Uh, the other day we talked about when Florida played Florida State. And I'm trying to think. I don't think that I was at a national championship game for a while there in college. Oh, no, I take it back. I was at the uh, at the Orange Bowl. I was saw USC in Oklahoma. I, I got to find that credential. I got to have that somewhere. Uh, but but these are two back-to-back -back games, okay? Um, we got the Rose Bowl in 2002. So I told this story briefly last week on the show. This was uh, me traveling to Beverly Hills, Pasadena, to see this game. I had never been there before. Really cool scene. Field is awesome. Stadium is huge. 100,000 people there. Uh, in fact, 96,000 at this game. Miami crushed Nebraska 37-14. to 14. This is Larry Coker coaching Miami, mm, which Davis had left to go to the Browns. Yeah, He, yep. he said he was not going to go to the Browns, and then he did go to the Browns. Uh, <laughs> Ken Dorsey, who became an unbelievable coach in the NFL, was a really good college quarterback and one of the best ever to play at Miami. His game didn't translate to the NFL, 
uh, arguably because he had the best offensive line also in the history of college football, too. But a uh, good college quarterback. Andre Johnson was there. This was his final year. He caught a 50-yard so touchdown pass in that game. Clinton Portis had a 39-yard rushing touchdown. This game was over from the beginning. The, the two teams that did not deserve to be on the same field. And uh, I was there. And Miami crushed Nebraska 37-14. to Like I said, Joe, last week, if you guys watched last week on the show, the buildup was great. Being at the Rose Bowl was awesome. Seeing all the things that went along with it. But the game itself was a dud. And that sometimes is going to happen. You can't do anything about that. No, I mean, did see some phenomenal talent at the time, too. I know Dorsey didn't really translate to the NFL, like you said. But, man, Andre Johnson and Clinton Portis did. <laughs> Andre Johnson. Well, Ed Reed was on that team, too. Oh, yeah, a lot of talent on that team. And, you know, Andre Johnson, another one of these guys where it's funny. And earlier we were talking about Allen Robinson saying, man, imagine if he had played with some great quarterbacks. Imagine if Andre Johnson had played with some great quarterbacks. I mean, he really... You know, from all those years with the Texans, I'm really excited for DeAndre Hopkins this year to be with uh, Kyler Murray, because I think Murray has a lot of opportunity to build on last year. And I'd love to see what Hopkins can do. I mean, look what he's done with the Hoyers and Osweilers of the world throughout his career. And I know he's got Watson, but, you know, that was a short yeah, window Watson's now. Pretty good. Watson's pretty good. But remember, Watson got hurt, missed a chunk of a season. And then he's been with Watson for two years. So now I want to see. Let's see what DeAndre Hopkins can do here going forward for the rest of his career with a quarterback like Murray for this second leg, which, again, Andre Johnson didn't have that kind of thing going for him. Sure. Well, the following year, I get to go to the national championship again because the Hurricanes win every game during the regular season again. And uh, this is a team now. Willis McGahee is there. Frank Gore is there. It's just just the same. Shockey. It's just it's the unbelievable Mm -hmm. team. Uh, they play in the Fiesta Bowl. I go to Arizona, and you see the credential there. That's from January 3rd, 2000. And three, I believe, I have the date wrong there, uh, three, hopefully it says that on the graphic. Uh, Ohio State beats Miami in double overtime, 31-24. to Maurice Claret scored two touchdowns. Miami won this game. Miami dominated this game pretty much from start to finish. Ohio State rallied late in a shocking way to end up scoring a touchdown. Uh, they go to overtime, and, uh, and in overtime, Miami scores a touchdown. Ohio State comes back on fourth down, Joe. Uh, Ohio State's quarterback throws a uh, a pass at the back of the end zone. It's incomplete. I'm there. We go on the field. All the Miami players are running on the field. Game's over. It's literally seconds after the play ends, oh, the referee throws a flag. Pass interference, Joe, on the last play of the game, mm. fourth down. And it was questionable, the fact that he even was past interference. The referee got slaughtered for making that call. They looked into his history. He was from Ohio. It was an absolute nightmare. That's not Miami a good look. Miami was how, not how the same. How can they even have that? Go- how do you even let that happen? It was I mean, horrible. I understand everyone's supposed to be doing their job, but, I mean, you know, you got to be careful. With that I'm stuff. not a Miami fan. I'm no, a, I know. I'm a Gator. I'm a I Gator. Didn't... I'm telling you from an impartial point of view, there was no way a flag should have been thrown on that play. It wasn't even thrown immediately. Mm. And again, what game in the NFL have you ever watched where all the players are running on the field not knowing that a flag was thrown? That tells you how long after it was. Joe, I am telling you, Miami uh, lost from that. It was done from that point on. Once they had to come back on the field, Claret scored a touchdown. They won a double overtime. When I tell you, and this is the point that I want to make about covering a team, when I tell you there were puddles of tears in a locker room, there was no rain at that game, bro. It was 
on. It was an, a scene I have never seen before in my entire life covering college and pro sports. The amount of crying that was happening at from all of the hurricanes. Who was the head coach of, of Miami players. that year after Coker left? It was still Coker. Oh, it was still Coker. Oh, okay. I thought you said he left for the Browns. You said he was No, Coker. Butch Davis left for the Browns. Oh, Butch so Davis Coker. from Larry Coker. Oh, okay, my apologies there. Okay. Right, which I was going to say, I don't remember how I could, but Butch Davis. I'll tell you now, folks, if you guys want to go back and you watch this thing on YouTube, let me know at Craig Mish if you think there was a flag on that play. We'll be uh, right back with more fantasy sports today right after this. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Welcome back, Joe and Craig. If you missed our previous segment, we were talking about the flag in the back of the end zone for, that really prevented Miami, the University of Miami Hurricanes football team, from winning back-to-back national championship games. It was, I, I think, one of the poorer calls in history. And when I look back and I look at some of the mistakes that referees and officials have made, I, for some reason, this one doesn't come close, I suppose, because it's I guess there's a percentage of you that would watch and go, well, maybe there was pass interference. And I, and I get that. I understand that. But there's also, Joe, some, uh, some sentiment to actually when you're throwing a flag, if you're a referee, and having the awareness of the moment uh, uh, as you're in. And, and I think that, that fouls have been committed in every sport. But it, I guess the example I would give is how many fouls are called with five seconds to go in a college basketball or an NBA game where the game is decided at the free throw line. Like, almost never, man. Mm-hmm. Like, like they'll go back, you'll see video, you'll see the guy clearly get grabbed on the arm, and then you'll be like, oh, well. You know? but, but it's well, just kind of say, like put the whistle away in the last 30 seconds, right? Yeah, it's just like understood. And, and on that play in particular that we were talking about previously, that's what needed to happen on that play. And and to me, it goes down. Maybe it's not the worst of all time, but certainly it's got to be in the top 10, I would think. But uh, it kind of led me to go into some research and go through 
some of the all-time worst calls by referees and officials. And so here are some of the things that I came up with. And, Joe, I'll certainly get your opinion after this. Uh, I gave a top four here. I didn't feel like anything was strong enough for a five. There was a boxing match uh, here or there, too, I think. Boxing. Well, yeah. It was like a million. We could do a top ten boxing, right? Well, yeah, but you also never know what's really in play with boxing. I mean, the talk about <laughs> talk about some yeah, dirty, shady stuff going on boxing. So yeah. that, that's a trickier one. So the 72 Basketball Olympics, the USA was basically derailed by the USSR. I, I didn't remember this. I wasn't alive for this. But going back now and seeing what happened, I kind of understand it. A lot of calls were not made, and it just simply looked like they were just giving the uh, the medal to Russia in the spot, the USSR. Remember, back then, also, the USSR and the U.S. were hating each other. Mm. This is this changed this everything. Is... It put instant Oof. replay on the map, um, and that's, you know— you know, changing uh, calls, which was a complete waste last year because they didn't really overturn anything. But they wanted to. Ha- they they now have in place basically a system that says if a call is egregiously missed in a in a championship game, we can go back and look at it. Uh, 2010, Jim Joyce co- costs Armando Galarraga a perfect game. I feel very bad for Jim Joyce, who feels really bad about this. He's certainly did everything in his power to apologize for it, and he also did. ended up saving a man's life. Um, who was choking at one point, too. Jim Joyce is a great guy, but he has to be on here. And he really course, went out in the forefront of that, too. You remember, it was like right yeah, after he right came away. out. Right away. And the call. he's like, I'm so sorry for this guy. And you know what? And it actually became a more memorable moment because of that than if Armando Galarraga had a perfect game. And went, oh, yeah, one of the other perfect games. But that one stood out because it was this incredible moment of humanity between these two men. And it was actually, I don't know, kind of what sports is supposed to be about, I guess, at the end of the day. And that was, it was great. It was more memorable because of that and actually more positive. Yeah, terrible. I think yeah. Yeah, as you should. And then in 1985, the World Series, in a very key moment, uh, Don Deckinger called George Orr to safe on an mm-hmm. infield uh, hit, which, would, which should have been out and could have potentially changed the entire World Series. We'll never really know for sure, but it was an egregiously missed call at a time where we did not have instant replay. So those are the ones for me. Were there any that I missed, or do you have any strong feelings about any of them? Well, there's one uh, in particular uh, in terms of calls. I mean, it became a rule based on this call, which is uh, the stolen touchdown in 2010 of Calvin Johnson against the Bears, where it seemed like it was a touchdown, and they ruled that it was, and then it was the whole football move thing, and it became these, oh, is he making a football move? Is it a touchdown? And then it was a whole big thing, and we saw it later on, too. Remember that Des Bryant catch against uh, Green Bay in the playoffs a few years ago, too? Oh, was it 20? Yeah, I don't know, 12? I don't know. I could be wrong there. I don't exactly remember what year that was, but it was around that time. Um, but that was another one that pops out for me. And I know it's not a call, but in terms of, like, the biggest botch that I can remember is I'll never, ever forget uh, in 1998 the uh, the coin toss. <laughs> between the Steelers and Lions where they said yeah. uh, heads and they were like, oh, tails. Okay, great. It was like one of those conversations you have with like a grandparent or an aunt and uncle at Thanksgiving. You're like, hey, could you pass the mashed potatoes? And they go, cranberry sauce, sure. And they just like have no idea, like they completely ignored you. Yet I said it clear as day. I know Jerome Bettis said it clear as day. You could hear it through the TV when he said it. And then the look on Bettis's face of what? What? <laughs> that was, um, again, not a, not a worst yeah, call, but then I believe if memory serves and the lions just went down and won the game. <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of crappy there. It's kind of not like what you want to have happen, but I don't know how you blow something that, yeah. that easy. <laughs> I 
that's that's the one. Well, there, there's there was one other Seahawks one that Packers I'm sure. One too in 20. That was also 2012. I know for sure. Uh, the Seahawks Packers. I think it was the first game of the year. Do you remember that uh, that hail mary call at the very end of the game? Um, I can't I can't describe it better than that. But it was a hail mary. In fact, they even call it the fail mary. That's what they were talking about in 2012. Uh, Rogers went and and went up there to throw, and they they called it a catch. Um, so you know, those are some of the ones that stick out in terms of like terrible calls and things like that, that that right away popped for me. Well, I'm surprised another one did not come up for you. I didn't put Where's, it on here. Because... Oh, the tuck rule. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it's your perspective of whether or not they called it incorrectly. The yeah, rule. I, I, I could go no. either way on it, but it well, definitely was very controversial. Did you see NFL Network did a one hour thing about the tuck rule? Did and they? it is a fascinating little piece of art, that documentary. And, you know, when you look at it, I think it's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. But they did call the rule properly. It's kind of like the whole thing that, um, remember a couple years ago, that that catch for, uh, was it in Pittsburgh, right? When uh, they were playing the, the Patriots. And um, it was about to be a touchdown. And it wasn't because if anybody who's watching football, they know it's that whole, well, if you're down there and then you turn to make the football move or whatever it is, you knew that they were not going to call that a touchdown. And then the same thing happened a couple weeks later to Rob Gronkowski in that Super Bowl against the Eagles. And as soon as it happened, I knew that's not going to happen. Like, yes, some rules are dumb, but if you're watching the game and you're watching football, you know that they're going to have that happen. In fact, the Patriots had the tuck rule called against them in, I want to say against the Jets that same season. And that's why Belichick even knew what it was and was right away on the referees about it. So, you know, it, they called it properly. But how do you feel about the tuck rule call? Uh, I mean, I feel bad for the Raiders there. I guess we'll never really know, um, you know. But do you think they called it properly? It, under what the guidelines are? I mean, I, gu I guess they did. I guess they did, subject to an opinion. But I, I couldn't put it on here because I didn't think that, I mean, it was, it was controversial, but you didn't really, uh, I, I, maybe it's just, I don't, I think the most egregious one here is probably the Denkinger one, because if memory serves, this was like the ninth inning. Was it the last yeah. out or the second to last out? Right. I want, I know that. It was definitely the ninth inning. And I think there was at least one out. I don't know if, if you know, we can check on that, but that did completely swing that series. And this is the World Series. So it's not even the championship game. We're talking the World Series. We're talking the pinnacle. And then, you know, the Cardinals end up losing. Then the next year, the Mets just pound them into submission. They go back to the World Series in 87, and then they lose again, and that's it for the Whitey Herzog Cardinals after that. That's it. Like, they don't come back again after that, and it's amazing to think about. But how different would we view those Cardinal teams if they had won in 85 and maybe in 87? Oh, wait, and they won in 82 also. I mean, that's that's a pretty incredible run for those Cardinals. That's a, that's a dynasty that never was because of that call. So that, personally, for me, is where I would put it. Yeah, I, I think that that's fair. The, the one thing that I would add about Galarraga is, and it's not something that people take into account, I know it's come up recently that Galarraga wants it overturned and he wants his perfect game, which you know, clearly is never going to happen, and I can understand him wanting it. But the financial ramifications from that, you may not think about that at all, but having that perfect game would always allow Galarraga to do autograph shows, you know, have a place in history. Like, there there definitely is something... You're telling me the Armando Galarraga perfect game ball is something that's coveted by uh, 
signed it's a something. It, people people like people collect that stuff. You'd be surprised. People I don't think he's paying an electric games. bill off that. No off hitters. That I, don't I don't know what it is, but there's something. It's there's something to it. Um, I, there's got to be something financial. I would be perfectly fine, especially because Jim Joyce was so vocal about it of them saying yes. I mean, if we could take away Heisman trophies, if we could say that this season never happened, then why can't we say, yeah, that was a perfect game? Like, why can't we do that for the guy? Like, would the earth shatter? I would not be against it. I'd be, I'd be okay with I'm it. For Who it? the final out, though? They'd have to take away a batting average point from that guy. That's not going oh, no. to allow that. Oh, how can we? Oh, my God. How can we possibly live? Who, may, who was that guy? Can we, can I don't we know. figure out who that guy was? I don't who know, but guy? he would have to agree to it, too. Oh, my God. So Joe Schmo gets one more point taken off his batting average back in Life. what year was this? 19, uh, 2010. <laughs> so that, that I mean, I'm sure we can all live with that. Maybe Armando Galarraga will send him a nice edible arrangement for it or something. You know, thank him. Yeah, with all that money from the autograph session. <laughs> I do. I feel bad for Galarraga. I, think I feel bad for him, and I think they should give it to him. I'm, let's start a petition. Sports grid. Well, it's already been out. Like it, it was. This is old news already. Two weeks ago, this came up. Well, let's give it to him. And there was no traction with it. Nothing. No. no nobody. No. Nobody cares. No. Well, there you have it. Would they care if it was it's like a, Rob Manfred's got this this book of stuff? You know, he's like, okay, here's Pete. Here's Pete Rose, Galarraga. <laughs> you know, like he's an idiot. The Galarraga page. He's like, ah, forget it. All right, let me look at Pete Rose again. Yeah. I think it would be fun to have somebody come in as commissioner of baseball and just. Right all the wrongs. This is like a Seinfeld episode, right? This is another like I just want to write all the wrongs. I go that when I put Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. I'm gonna go ahead and give Armando Galarraga his uh his perfect game. We're gonna just writing all the wrongs of baseball, and all of a sudden, would you then become like the anti-Roger Goodell? Would you be the most beloved commissioner in fantasy sports? And uh, not fantasy in, in, in all of sports because you would commissioners act- are like that got news for you. So no, but I mean, could you imagine like that's that's you come in there and you just and right all the whoever wrongs. that is would be the first liked commissioner. Well, you could be publicly liked to do all those things and really wouldn't cost you a nickel. <laughs> like to do it, just all good PR, you know? I don't know. I don't want to get to the Pete Rose thing. But, right now could uh, allow or allow Pete Rose back if he wanted to, but doesn't want to. You know? It could be a lot of people would like him for that, but. Would you? Something that probably wouldn't happen. Would you like him for that? I'd like him to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. With a plaque, yeah. I think so. That that I mean, him being around baseball and being involved probably not a good idea. But I'd I'd like there to be an induction with him. Yeah. Mm. All right. Coming up next, we close out the show with a little bit more baseball talk and everything else that's happening, which would include uh, our buddy Alex Bregman, who was on the show a couple of months ago, has decided that he is going to move on from his agency, which sounded pretty innocent when the story first came out. Now we learn there's a little bit more to that story. We'll tell it to you when we come back next right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't forget, Joe and I will be right back here again tomorrow from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern for another edition of the show. And then we'll close out the week on Friday with Gray Albright. We'll be back with more FST on Sports Grid in just a couple of minutes. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. 
all major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build and optimize lineups for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back. Craig and Joe here with you as we close out our show today here on Fantasy Sports Today. And by the way, our producer, Brett Levy, informed us, for those of you who've been watching the entire show, can't believe you have all this time on your hands to watch us for two hours. Good job by you. We have the time. I'm not sure that you guys did. But he informs us that on the FanDuel Sportsbook, to make very clear here, not only can you bet the first win for the Giants and Jets, but you can do it for several other teams, not just them. So if you really want in, head on over to FanDuel right now and get your bets in. Uh, you could certainly do that right now. I could tell you to wait like I would until the season starts. Speaking of which, i got to get my money back for my bets that I put in for this season. I keep forgetting to do that. It's a lot of money. Uh, but either way, side the point, you can get your bets in right now. Uh, interesting story sort of took hold a couple of days ago as Houston Astros superstar, and he is a superstar, Oh, Alex sure. Bregman decided that he was going to change agents. Uh, anytime Alex Bregman does anything now, he's clearly being uh, ridiculed, associated with cheating, and, and he's taking his medicine right now. I mean, anything he says on social media, whether he's helping the community, and he's done a lot, certainly during this time, he gets crushed. I get it. I've had a chance to know him now for years. I'm speaking a little bit from an impartial or uh, a partial point of view that uh, I am a fan of Alex Bregman, and I hope that things end up passing for him, working out, and, and I hope that he goes on to have a really good career. My guess is, is that at some point you'll hear more from him uh, in terms of an apology. That was the only thing that kind of fell short for me there. Uh, but I'm wondering how this will be perceived a little bit here because Alex is a smart guy, and I, I, can, I could tell during spring training just how much this was really affecting him. I couldn't say the same thing for Correa and Altuve and some of the others, but I, I could see it. On, uh, on Alex's face. It was, it was tough, uh, and he was going through it, too. But now, I guess he must have found out somehow, Joe, that LeBron James's uh, production company, or an association that uh, the production company that he's associated with, uh, essentially was representing Alex Bregman, who is one of the best players in the game and got a long-term extension, courtesy of that agency, too. He signed for a long time with uh, Houston, going to get paid a lot of money. Um, it was sold to Clutch Sports this offseason, and they're doing, the production company, a essential documentary on the Houston Astros cheating scandal. Now, I don't know how this all happened. Their speculation is, is that they maybe went to Alex Bregman and asked him to be interviewed for it, or, I mean, who, who even knows? But the bottom line is that he chose to change his agency and he hasn't spoken about it yet maybe he will maybe he won't i'm guessing he changed joe because he doesn't like the fact that people are in his own building are going to be going after him and i'll be partial here once again for alex bregman in this particular case i completely understand it and alex was wrong the astros are wrong for doing what they did but i would guess that your agency sort of has to be a family and if somebody here at SportsGrid was to take Craig Mish down and do an expose about, you know, how Craig Mish doesn't tie his shoes the right way and, 
trips people when he runs, I'd be upset with Sports Grid too. So I guess this is simply put, these people are supposed to be representing him, and instead there's at least a, a, a contingent of the people who are going to be working more to, toward taking him down. Well, look, I can understand why just switch agencies when you're, you know, in a situation where the agency is doing a documentary about a scandal you're involved in. That's an uncomfortable situation, and you shouldn't have to stick with that. Uncomfortable, yeah, that's a nice word for it. Well, I was trying to be professional there for a moment, just for your sake. You know, we're at the end of the show here, so I'm going to do my best to finish strong. Um, But, I mean, this, I I could say what, I'm certainly fascinated to watch the documentary about it. If it does come out, if it does end up happening, but for Alex Bregman, it seems like the logical thing to do. I mean, I don't see any issue with this whatsoever. If he had stayed there, I think it would have been even weirder. So, um, and maybe the agency also, in a lot of ways, maybe they want to, from their image standpoint, kind of was a mutual parting of the ways too. I guess we'll never quite know the inner workings of that. Um, you know, of all the times we've talked about this, I don't think I've ever asked you this question. So I'm going to ask it, and then I'm going to duck. I'm going to see what happens here. I might have to. So um, my question is this, Craig Mish. Do you think sign stealing is cheating? Uh, No. Why? Because it's being done by all the teams. It's part of the game. So just because it's done, it's okay. Because, I mean, the word stealing is part of it. I'm just curious. So, so uh, I mean, it, it's it's a little unethical. That's part of the... it, it's a little unethical, okay. I but, it's being, but it's being done. And then Houston took it to a, a place where— 100%. I'm not, I am not excusing what Houston did. You know, in every conversation I've said— Look, it's very clear the Red Sox were doing this too, but not to the level of the Astros, which is why the hammer didn't come down nearly as— Well, I'm, I, that Tim Flannery—I um, remember that social media post where he was talking about the way back in the day they would use videotape— for everybody and who had the signs and then he would do specific signs and he knew other teams had on them. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. You know, it's a whole, this whole shenanigans back and forth. I just wish we could take it out of the game too, because I, 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 Oh, like I said, as a, someone who played the game at a level where you could actually steal signs, it was actually important. I remember them asking you to do it and try to do it. And I didn't like it. And not only did I not like it, I found it unethical, but at the same point, I found it distracting. Like, I just, like, can I just focus on hitting the ball? Like, it's not somebody relaying me a sign of wherever it is. And I think the word unethical is a very good word. I don't like it. I think that the NFL has locked down a lot of crazy things because they have so much technology on the sidelines. Stealing signs is an unethical thing, and they took an unethical thing, and they did it better than everybody else in a way they were not supposed to. I think the Astros have taken way too much heat on this. I think they got what they deserve because you break the rules, you break the rules, and that's it. But at the end of the day, like this to me was the biggest overreaction for a public because at the end of the day, what they were doing was not everybody was got their panties in a bunch over. It was how they were doing it. And at the end of the day, shouldn't what you're doing be right or wrong? I don't think stealing anything, stealing signs or getting an edge in that way should be allowed. Yet it's, like you said, accepted in commonplace in the game. So therefore, yeah, we kind I, of just I shrug about again- it. It, it's the same argument that you have with steroids that you that you just and listen. You're entitled to your opinion, but you have a mm-hmm. different you have a different view on it. Than, well, steroids doesn't make you a great baseball player. That's, no, it's not. It's not all about that. It's it, yeah. listen. It's my um, it, again. No one is right or wrong, mm-hmm. but our views are very different because for me, it's innocent until proven guilty in the United States of America, and. The Houston Astros were probably stealing signs for a long, long time before this ever happened. Sure. But they were caught 
And after they were caught, they were not punished. And the commissioner of baseball said, hey, look, we got you guys doing some stuff that you shouldn't be doing. As of now, and a member went out to everyone, right. as of now, anything that you did in the past, we're going to wash our hands of it. Don't do it again. And they did. And, and that they were wrong. what they're being punished for. I'm not, That's but I never said not to be punished. Did I ever say they shouldn't be punished? Right, but they should uh, be talking about very, bigger... very severely. They just disregarded I... what the commissioner said. They, they I'm not disagree with anything. You can't break a rule after you you enforce a rule. That's that's why I feel that way about steroids right. to a and... degree too. Maybe it's not a good argument, but if the commissioner says, "Hey, look, you guys that did steroids and you hit a billion home runs, it's okay." Just hey, hey you guys making anymore. millions of dollars. Don't keep making millions of dollars. I'm warning uh, you. You can still you you, you have to do that if with a these rule guys. is in place and right. you break and you a rule, rule and you get place. caught. That's it. But I agree with all of that. Not in one second have I disagreed. So that they, they had to take an extreme punishment. They disregarded agree. the rules. They agree. I I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm asking to, you on a higher plateau. At what point do we think more philosophically about this in the first place and say, hey, you know what? This is kind of a BS thing anyway. Like, why, why is somebody allowed to be at second base relaying signs to somebody at home plate or doing all those things? I always think it was a shady practice. It has been around forever. And just because something's accepted doesn't mean it should be accepted. Just because it's something that's commonplace doesn't mean we should all just roll over about it. Because at the heart of the issue is what they were doing in the first place is a shady practice. And then they took the shady practice, which, again, they want everybody to be hush-hush about because baseball is, you know, these unwritten rules and all this stuff. And then they took it to the next level, and they got pwned for it, and they should have. And everything you said is right, and I agree with you. I'm just waiting for the more higher philosophical argument about sign-stealing in the first place not having a place in baseball anymore because it's well, an unethical it practice. It, pr it probably won't. Well, but, that, but that's why, as much as, as, as I look at Houston's situation and I see the draft picks that they lost— and the money that they find the owner was ridiculous, but the draft picks that they lost and then the other stuff that they're going to have to go through, there's a degree of that as well. Clearly, the commissioner made a mistake by granting immunity to all the players. That's unequivocal. It, it, was, a, it was a mistake. It shouldn't have happened. But he claims, he, could, he, claim, where, where he, claims he could not have gotten them to go on the record. But you know, look, that's an that's a, a, a entirely different story. Mm. But as far as the punishment fitting the crime, um, it had to happen. It did because and agreed because he said that if you do it again, I mean, if, if basically if the commissioner came down and said, "Ah, oh, you know what? It's still okay this time," then the next thing know. that he the says, the punishment was absolutely right. You have rules in place for a reason. The problem yeah. is, I think the rule should have been a deeper look at things and say, "Hey, guys, 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 don't steal signs with electronics, but stealing signs." is okay. If it's not okay in the NFL for people to, and again, there's signal calls, there's plays and things like that, but I mean, you have to realize, like, this is it's kind of a crazy thing, especially where technology's gone and it's gotten so, so you know, prevalent in sports, where it's so easy now to get all those things. So maybe back in the day, what you were able to do, you know, is, is one thing, but I, I think we should just look at the practice itself and say, you know what? Why are we condoning this practice at all? It's a shady practice. It has the word stealing in it. For God's sakes. Yeah, it's probably done. I, I, don't, oh, I, don't, I, I don't think it'll ever be done, but I think it should be. It, so it's, it's done to the point where it's going to be very hard to identify which teams are doing it now because they're well aware as to the heat that the uh, Astros yeah. are going to take. Like I said, I, I'm, I, I think, you know, the shame that Bregman is experiencing is punishment enough. And eventually everybody should just move on with their lives about this and stop killing this kid over this. I feel very bad. I know that I'm, the, I'm on an island a lot with this. Uh, 
with this conversation. But uh, I got to tell you, during the spring, it was kind of funny to see them getting yelled at by the fans. I was right there watching it, and they took it in stride. They had fun with it and yeah. went back at things. You know why? Because they have Porsches. <laughs> yeah, no, they. I, I, I know, but Bregman was not like that amongst the other guys. He was the one that young kid. I could just see. That well, he's he was younger. He's younger, and you know what? I don't know if Bregman came from the same place that Altuve did. And I think when you ask Jose Altuve, you know, was it worth it? He sits back and goes, "Did you see where I used to live? Because I've seen where Jose Altuve used yeah. to live." Yeah, he took the he took a very very low uh, long term mm-hmm. extension because his family was in such bad shape. Yep. So. All right, that will do it for our show today. Thanks to everybody who watched. We appreciate your guys' participation with us. Make sure you leave us some comments on Twitter, social media, or on YouTube as well. Uh, Thanks to Brett, Ryan, and Danny for putting our show together. Once again, Joe and I will be back again for another edition of Fantasy Sports Day tomorrow, so make sure you tune in. Also, don't forget, coming up a little bit later today, Scott Farrell's show is now live on SportsGrid. So coast-to-coast every single day in the afternoon here on sportsgrid.com and uh, also of course on iTunes, Android, wherever you hear our podcast, you can hear of all our on-demand content as well. For Joe, I'm Craig. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. We'll catch you tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on Fantasy Sports Today. See you. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.